What is up, ZB Nation? It's your boy Josh Wolf coming at you live from an undisclosed location in the Southern Hemisphere. And today I have the true privilege of having on the show for the ZB Nation, Bernd Ruka, the Chief Technologist, Co-Founder and Geschaftsführer at uh, Komunda. Guten Morgen. Welcome, Bernd. Thank you, Tosh. Guten Morgen. Did I get that right? Is it Geschaftsführer or Geschaftsführer? <laughs> it was pretty close. Uh, if you if you pronounce it in German, it's Geschäftsführer. Geschäftsführer. Oh, okay. that was even better. I'm I'm impressed by your uh, German skills by by now already. Thank you, thank you. Or should I say, Dankeschön, um, <laughs> Geschäftsführer. So that means like a business leader, I think. Yeah, that's the uh, that's an official thing in Germany um, because there, it's not directly relates to CEO, but it's kind of that thing because you're officially liable for what the company does. Okay. You're the guy who gets sued if uh, something goes wrong. Right. <laughs> kind of. Okay. So I guess but from a, like a, an American, yeah, it would be like a director, I guess, of a company. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually not sure about how it, how it is in the US and because it's really about liabilities, it's a, it's an official thing. So I, I have no idea if that has a direct translation. Uh-huh. And so you ended up in that role at Komundo because you're obviously one of the co-founders along with uh, Jakob. Correct. Correct. And I think that's, yeah. yeah. Oh, I was just going to, you know, um, maybe you could um, tell a little bit about the background of how kind of Komundo got started and how you guys sort of kicked the whole thing off. I'm happy to. Um, so that, I mean, it's already quite a long time. So if you look at the calendar, it's 2020. So uh, we found in 2008. And actually, I met Jakob in 2007, I think it was. So it was kind of really, um, really over the topic of business process management at that time. So um, I mean, for me, the whole topic started a bit earlier. So um, even during kind of like school, I had the friend with basically organizing his, what he would probably name a wholesale business. So um, I, I looked at the processes he needs and uh, I looked at how we can automate that. And I basically, that was when I stumbled over um, workflow management, process automation, all the tools around that. Um, started off with open source tooling, JBoss JBPM at that time. And then I was kind of vocal about that. So um, I implemented a couple of things there. And then I wrote a Java Magazine article in Germany. And I wrote, I, I spoke at a meetup. And this is somehow how it got into the internet. <laughs> and Jakob at that time, already earlier on, started um, what was called the, in German it was, but it was kind of the BPM network. It was a community site around um, business process management. And that was a time when LinkedIn was not yet a thing. So um, he formed a really big community around that. I think at the end, it was more than 10,000 people in the German-speaking area signed up. And he searched for articles around um, BPM and technology around BPM. And he stumbled upon what I was doing and basically asked me, hey, can you write an article for for that um, for the network? I said, sure. Um, like full disclosure, in hindsight, I never wrote that article, <laughs> but I was uh, totally, <laughs> I was totally wanting to do that. Um, but that's how we basically got connected, and then we met at, 
at a conference, we got like talking about BPM and all around that. He was basically saying, hey, um, I'm thinking about starting my own business around that. And um, I was kind of a freelancer uh, at that time. So I already had my own business. And somehow we got together and said, hey, let's explore options, how to do something together. And that's how it all started. And then uh, we sorted that out. And we started a consulting company basically around BPM in the beginning. So that's what Kamuna was in the early days. Wow. So you, you kind of like, um, I can hear the DevRel kind of thing right <laughs> from the very beginning. Like articles, speaking at conferences. Yeah, totally. I mean, totally. And uh, I, I remember, I mean, when I, when I did that, it was end of high school, basically. And I, I just started my, my bachelor uh, studies. So um, that was, I was pretty young and I was, I, I, I was impressed, excited, amazed, and also a bit frightened by how easy it was to get into the first project. I really did that talk. I put the slides online. I, at that time, it was a PDF uploaded somewhere on your own web server. So it was even harder than it would be today. But it got picked up and somebody asked me, like, um, should be an email say, hey, we're doing this project for a big telecommunication company. We want to or they want to use um, JBPM at that time. Um, you seem to be an expert. Can you help with that? I was <laughs> like, wow, okay. I don't feel like an expert. And in hindsight, I wouldn't say I was one. But um, I mean, you know how that is. You um, you commit on that. And I think I delivered well, um, but it was quite a quite a long way to go. But I would mm. I would totally agree it was it was DefRel at that time. Yeah, nobody talked about DefRel. <laughs> but wasn't even a thing. No. But it did work out so, pretty well. Yeah, obviously. And uh it Kumunda kind of started as a like a consulting company and what was the how did that journey from like consulting to like product plus consulting? Yeah. How did that how did that all happen? I mean there are uh, there were a couple of aspects to that or perspectives. So one is, um, as a consulting company, we um, were very specialized. So we did a good job of really getting the experts in the whole BPM stuff. We wrote a book about BPMN. Um, that's the language you use in order to express uh, executable um, process models. And that book gets got quite popular in, in especially in Germany. We started with the German edition um, that I think it even helped us to be on the German market in the beginning because it's big enough to um, to do something, to make an impact, but it's still its own market with an own language. So that's, it's easier. And that's the book, uh, Real World BPMN? Yeah, that's what's now Real World BPMN. In, in German, it's called Praxis Handbuch BPMN. <laughs> and, okay. BPMN Practice Handbook. Uh, yeah, kind of, yeah. Right. Praxis, it's hard to translate. I think real life is close. Um, okay. But right. And we, we wrote that book relatively early on. Um, so that gave us quite an exposure in the market. And that meant we um, we got into a lot of consulting assignments um, because we had a good brand for that BPMN topic. And we basically did a lot of trainings and very focused consulting assignment. So we were typically at the customer like a couple of days, like not half a year. I mean, we had that in the beginning, but it 
we try to have as many customers as possible and then shorter assignments, normally with a re really good daily rate. Um, and that did two things. The first is like, as we had a good daily rate, we could save some money in the company. So we basically, um, yeah, we piled up some money we could use later on. And the second thing is like, we had a lot of contact to different companies and we saw a lot of um, different setups, like in terms of as well, organizations and roles and people, but also um, in terms of technology and tools that are being used. And um, I think that helped us a lot to understand that in that market, um, there is really a gap in what we believed in was a good tool to be used in, in, in the whole BPM or process automation space. And that basically led us to, um, hey, we should do that. <laughs> like uh build build the tool yeah i mean it's it, it's also a journey um so in the beginning i mean we we very early on we started to contribute to uh to open source um, workflow tooling so in the beginning that was um there was jbpm um then jbpm got forked um then there was the activity project which we joined from the beginning and there we even um for a consulting company we invested a lot of effort actually because we had three, four, five people contributing to the project. Um, at that time, we were still a consulting company. That was around 2012, probably. And we saw that this really got traction, got picked up in the market and by different customers. And we saw the opportunity of, hey, we could probably monetize that. We could probably productize around that whole open source offering. But um, we still... I mean, to be honest, we struggled a bit in how we best do that because monetizing open source is not a not an easy endeavor. And we started to sell support around the open source uh, activity project, and that we actually succeeded in in um, selling, uh, I think, two subscriptions, or we didn't call that subscription support contracts. But we realized that this is not going to work out that way because it was kind of, we were still a consulting company. We had no real idea about like how to build software, how to release software, how to distribute software. Mm -hmm. And we didn't control the open source project. So we, we, I mean, we could contribute to it, but we couldn't control the release cycle. We couldn't control the roadmap. Um, there are a lot of things which uh, were a big risk, actually, if you, if you do sell these support contracts. And at some point in time, we said, hey, this doesn't make sense. We are, we're having a good idea where this could lead to, how a good product should look like. Um, and activity in that sense is a good foundation to lay on. But um, if we want to do that, if we really want to provide process automation tooling, um, we should go all in. And that we had, I think, two or three long discussions, long meetings around that. Should we do that? Should we really? become uh, a software vendor because that's a very different business than, than a consulting company. And in hindsight, I would also say um, Jakob, my co-founder, he has a very strategic view on how to build a company, how to make it scalable, how to succeed as a business. And putting all of that together, we made a decision and said, okay, we do that. We, um, to be very consequent at that time we forked the activity project so we said we can't be dependent on a on a third party project we can't control um so we we forked it um 
then we had our own code base and then we built our own product around that and that was we started that 2013 um, that was a huge step for the company and was a kind of a huge risk as well uh, so in that time it felt like wow now we're we're kind of like betting on that like the whole company the whole thing we did like for the last five years um yeah but it's still happy that we did that and that's how we got into um the the space of free really being an open source vendor and from there on we basically continued doing that very strategically and so this move into zb as a as a um project slash product new space is is it similar like in terms of like the risk and the opportunity there or is it a completely different ball game i think it's a very different story so um when we forked activity and said hey we want to become a vendor that was a we really said okay this is what we do if that right. doesn't work out um okay you probably can fall back to consulting in a way but um right. i mean forking that product burned a lot of bridges so um that was kind of let's do that we believe in that and uh, the rest is history but we like also there you're starting with some validated piece of technology right like you you sort of got to try it before you bought it whereas with zb it's kind of like <laughs> right no but, no but you're, 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 you're totally right i mean the technology was i mean probably not where we want wanted it to be but it was kind of a proven um, architecture we we know what we were dealing you're with you're already making money right people were buying it totally exactly and with the cb it's a very different thing and also very different motivation actually so when we started cb or thinking about the cb project it was not so much about like hey there's something but we should go all in with that it was more like hey we have a fantastic product um it's working we're making money with that um so there's no real need to change now but we anticipated that down the road like I I still don't know exactly when, like a couple of years, probably a couple of years more. But we knew down the road um, there will be change um, that requires new technology. So we can't just like um, continue doing the current product and harvest the money that's behind that and 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 relax. We knew that we have to do something in order to be really competitive and innovative in the future. And that was basically the motivation to do CB and to invest in that. Interesting. It's the innovator's dilemma, isn't it? It's like either yeah, you totally. eat your own lunch or someone else will eat it. Right. And I even remember one meeting um, where I pulled up exactly that picture from the innovator's dilemma and um, we we read through the book and I think it's pretty much this, yeah. And we want, I mean, let's, let's see. In the book, he basically describes how almost every company can't escape the innovator's dilemma um, but I'm still have hope that we can do, um, <laughs> and <laughs> I can totally recommend the book. It's really called the innovators dilemma and describes very well why, um, it's hard as a success, especially as a successful company with the current technology to invest in the next technology. Um, yes. I mean, nowadays there are a couple yeah. of other literature around that describing that in different ways. Um, but I think it's super important to look beyond the current yeah is there anyone who's really done it like kodak didn't become you know like now it's like the iphone is like let's say take photos um you do have things yeah. like toyota who launch another mark like lexus so they don't compete 
you know, with the brand name, but that's not a different, really a, a radically different categorical product, right? It's just, a, just kind of a variation. Which, I mean, time will tell, but in that sense, I mean, CV is also not, I mean, it has a very radically different architecture, but it's still a, a process automation tool. So um, let's see what the future brings. I mean, I could still imagine that we see process automation um, very different in 10 years from now. And I still mm. think a lot about that, how how to make the company ready for that. And I'm, I still think we're in good shape for that. And we're very open to discuss every every concern, every idea, every uh, everything that comes up. But um, it's still a big challenge because on the other hand, we're, um, I mean, we, we, grow, we grew beyond 200 people already. Um, so of course, there's some, let's say, machinery going on in order to, um, to continue building the product, to delivering, to selling, to supporting it, to supporting our customers. Um, so if you scale to that extent, you can't like easily do all the experiments you probably want to, because it's always you you lose momentum in the in the current product, you confuse customers. Um, so I totally see that this is really different for every company. So even if you try hard, it's still different. Uh, difficult, sorry. I think some companies, um, they sometimes spin out like um, small kind of startups. Yeah. And then like buy them back at the buy end, them. but that company yeah. basically goes out and competes with them. Yeah. I mean, that's that's totally one um, possible option. Um, the, <laughs> I mean, the buying back is where I have seen a lot of companies still struggle. Because as soon as you start, if you have like a startup, it's normally because you want to have it very, very agile in a very different culture. As soon as you buy it back, you normally get in trouble uh, again. But right. um, that's a very complex pieces. question. 